Welcome to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. Join host Liz Myers and her guests as they explore resiliency through the lens of personal stories. Tune in weekly for inspiration and doable life hacks to overcome adversity and thrive in life. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. Welcome back to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Myers, and today I have with me emotional wellness coach, Gloria Bettini, and I am so excited and intrigued to hear her story and her methods and healing of healing and resilience. So thank you and welcome to the show, Gloria. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, yeah it's good. It's good to have you on today. So please tell us a little bit about your story and your journey of, of what led you to where you are today. Yes, uh, my story starts very early. I didn't know it started that early in life until <laughs> later on. Yeah, <laughs> I that happens. Over. Yeah, it does. <laughs> exactly. But uh, no, it starts very early, but I, uh, I, I, I give it to you the same way I discovered it, right? Okay. So I was with a narcissist for about 15 years of my life, between the age of 18 and 32. So it's quite crucial years, really, mm -hmm. um, of my life. And I had no idea that I was in a toxic relationship until the very last, like, mm -hmm couple of years you know mm -hmm. year or two um I had no idea everything that was happening in the relationship I thought was normal the way that he was treating me the way that he was talking to me I just thought that you know relationships are not perfect there are ups and downs and you know this is this is what being in a in a, a long-time relationship means um I had no idea mm -hmm. I was uh, really uh going through very um, going through extreme anxiety which turned into OCD mm -hmm. and I well I thought because then obviously I was talking to him and that's what he was saying to me as well that it all came from my job I worked uh, you know I, I live here in in London and I worked in central London in events for 10 years and it's mm -hmm. quite a demanding industry it's really fast-paced and it is stressful within itself but you know, so, so that's what I what I connected my extreme anxiety and my OCD with. Anyway, I got to a point where I couldn't deal with it anymore. I couldn't handle it anymore, and I needed I needed external help. I went to seek the help of a, of a coach who specialized in anxiety, and uh, I uh, started dealing with my OCD in a in a healthier way, like really starting understanding it. What was it, where it came from? Why did I feel that I had to do those things? You know, um, those rituals. If, if actually if, uh, people are not familiar with OCD, OCD is an anxiety disorder uh, where you feel the obsessive compulsion of do certain rituals throughout your day. And it's a way of keeping control when things are out of control, basically. Yeah. And then you get completely stuck in the cycle and uh, it, it gets completely like you feel like you are keeping things under control in reality it's it's not it's completely out of control and that's yeah. that's what's happening to me and it's um, controlling you in fact <laughs> correct yeah, yeah exactly yeah absolutely and uh, I uh, it is controlling me because um when I started seeing my coach she made me do this first exercise at the beginning to start understanding the extent of my OCD because it's something that you don't actually realize 
the extent of it when you are experiencing it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and she originally made me write it on paper and she said, okay, record every single ritual you have during the day and write it down. And I got to the end of the day and I counted 39. Wow. Yeah. yeah, which was a lot. And a lot of them were quite lengthy as well. Mm-hmm. So the, the main things they were, the main things were concentrated in, in the morning before I would, uh, before I go to work, when I was ready in that I was literally ready, coat on handbag, ready and everything. And it would take me 40 minutes to leave the house. And same thing before bed, I was ready, you know, makeup off, washed everything, mm-hmm. ready to go to bed. And it would take me another 40, 45 minutes to actually go to sleep. Mm. So that was quite shocking. You know, when I, when I actually saw it on paper, it mm-hmm. was really like a, a big realization. So, so how do you tell the difference between just a routine that you do? And if, if a person were to have OCD is it the anxiety you feel if you don't do it is that the key difference yeah it's the compulsion literally like if you you feel like you have to do that thing like one very common ritual uh, that is uh, that a lot of people with OCD share is the fact of checking the door Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. you have to check the door x amount of times and in x amount of cycles you know Mm Because if you don't do it, you feel that something bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's literally that thought of, I must do this because otherwise this is going to determine something else to happen, mm-hmm. which, you know, if, if we're talking like this, if you don't suffer with OCD, you think, well, that's completely irrational because how are you checking the door? How is that going to determine what's going to happen in the future? Right. Right. But when you are experiencing it it's a very different story you are literally like consumed with anxiety because you realize that it's that it's impossible but at the same time you cannot stop so Mm -hmm. it's really yeah it's not it's Mm -hmm. not a it's not a a pretty thing to deal with and i um, I have experienced that just a small taste on you know some minor things so i can relate to it like what you're saying makes sense to me even though i haven't experienced it to that degree but um i i can see how some people would go oh that's crazy that's odd but i'm like no i hear what you're saying <laughs> i, I yeah. get it yeah and does it, it happens as well with uh, i've spoken to to so many people with uh, um checking the taps or the gas mm-hmm. around the house or uh, for some people is making sure that the cutleries and all the knives are you know, in a certain order and everything. It's it's like keeping those things, yeah, making sure that everything is under control in a way. Kind of like excessive safety checks, maybe. Yes, yes, correct. And uh, and then you start counting. So you say, okay, so for example, one of the things for me before going to bed was checking that my bedroom window was closed. But then it's one thing checking that the, if the bedroom window is closed and another thing obsessing about how the curtain is aligned. You know, how many times have I actually checked the window? No, because if I haven't checked three times, it's not going to be sure that it's actually safe. It really is a lot to deal with. And uh, you think that you're doing it to calm you down, but in reality, it's actually doing the opposite. It's yeah. giving you more and more anxiety. So anyway, so I went to see um, my, my coach and uh, she was great. And uh, we worked together uh, for a total of a year and a half. But straight away after about, yeah, halfway through that, I would say, 
um, pretty much the OCD was halved. So a lot of the rituals were gone and we, we approached it in a way that we would concentrate on one single ritual and when was, that was resolved, we would move to another one. And uh, so with half of it gone, I had half of the anxiety. So when you have half of the anxiety, you see clearly, mm. you know, there, there's some sort of clarity that comes to you and you start noticing things that you didn't have space for before. You know, you didn't have space in your brain and in your yeah. thoughts for before. And that's where I started noticing the behaviors that were not normal, mm. you know, with my, with my ex. And that's where I started picking up on things and started seeing that actually this anxiety might not all come from me or from my job. I think that a lot of stuff that he's doing, it's actually giving me a lot of this. Mm-hmm. And then I started uh, saying those things out loud, you know, expressing the way I felt and saying, you know, the, uh, there are a lot of financial issues, for example, or he had a, he was um, smoking a lot. He was really addicted to cigarettes to the point where it would actually influence the finances uh, in, in a heavy way. Uh, so I started raising those things that I felt weren't right. You know, we'd been together for such a long time and I, and I wanted to talk about those things. And that's where I realized what I was dealing with. I was completely shut down. Always. I was gaslighted. It was always my fault. It was always the way I was seeing things. It was never, you know, how, um, how things were. Um, but you know, you have anxiety, so that fogs your mind, you know, so you're not seeing this clearly or, and then it would take me through arguments that were hours and hours long to the point that I would get to the end of it and I would just forgot why we started. And he would turn around and say, you see, now you don't remember, which means it's not important. Mm. But obviously that was all a a form of manipulation, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there was a lot of stuff in intimacy as well. So, uh, so yeah, so I started working as I worked more and more myself and I noticed those things, I distanced myself. Mm You know, and um, and that's often a thing in relationships when one person begins to get healthier, then it highlights where the other person needs to work on things. And they're usually not real happy about that at first. (laughs) But can you explain for our listeners who may not know what gaslighting is? Because that's kind of a a narcissistic specific term that we don't use very often. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And uh, I didn't know what it was at the beginning either. It took a friend of mine that says, actually, I heard this thing. It's called gaslighting. I think that's what happened. What's happening to you. And I looked into it and that was exactly it. So gaslighting is a very deep manipulation that narcissists um, or, or people with narcissistic personality disorder use. It's a way where they make you believe a distorted reality. So when they make you think that what you think isn't true, mm. but to the point, because if we are talking and I'm trying, you know, if you and I are talking and I'm trying to tell you, no, you've invented that, you're going to be like, no, I haven't. You know, you're going to say that mm-hmm. clearly and we can have a conversation about with a narcissist, they would make you think and convince you that you're wrong. Mm. And by the end of the conversation, you would think that you're crazy completely because from one point you would feel like well I had a point Mm -hmm. and then you would get to the end of the conversation didn't know where you where you started didn't know what the point you wanted to make was Mm -hmm. 
it's 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 when they confuse you when they offer you a different version of reality that is not your own so is that something they're aware of or is it just part of their personality where it's the way they operate and they're not aware of what they're doing either so they're very aware they are not willing to change either so they are very aware aware of what they're doing because for them it's not about the relationship it's not about the other person but it's about the supply that they get mm -hmm. so we call the narcissists sorry so narcissists are basically they have basically an, an inflated sense of self mm -hmm. and they need constant sources of admiration and uh, and idealizations and these sort of things so when they are in a relationship you are in a relationship with them and you are in love with the person they are not in love with the person they are in love with the idea and they are in love with what they get with with the fact that they get love and admiration from you and that's very very intentional yeah very intentional um they don't decide to grow up this way obviously it has to do it has to do with deep uh, rooted uh, trauma from childhood and everything uh, but nonetheless they are very aware of their behaviors mm. i i actually i i did uh, experience that i remember uh, this was, uh, this was already when I left the relationship and, um, I cannot remember for the sake of it. I can't remember what we were talking about, but I remember, um, having to go back to the house that we were in together to pick up some stuff. You know, this was mm -hmm. fairly recently. I'm talking like a couple of weeks after or three weeks after I had left. And, um, uh, there was a big argument and then following the argument, I received a text message a text message like that you can see yeah. that said I knew everything that I was doing to you I manipulated you into thinking this I bullied you into that like every single thing that he had done it was in the text message right really and uh to which I was like okay then this confirms everything that I've always suspected mm -hmm. and then what happened was two days after I think this was we were again talking about something else and he was again starting an argument I can't remember but I remember mm -hmm. a discussion uh, you know being raised and I and I literally said to him why are you doing this you already said that you knew everything that you were doing you already messaged me that he said I never sent him text message hmm which isn't true because I am looking at the text message. Right, right. I am talking to you, <laughs> right? Yeah. I was looking while we were having the, the, that conversation. Yeah. So it's literally denying the evidence. Mm -hmm. It's literally manipulating you. At that point, I think it was, I had already left. So I think maybe what the attempt was there to make me believe that the text wasn't true. I don't know. You know, Just another glitch in the phone. Exactly. Yeah. The way of gaslighting or something. I yeah. don't know. But yeah, uh, yeah they're very aware. So yeah. when you realized that your relationship was also contributing to your anxiety and it wasn't all yeah. things that you could solve yourself, what what was the next step that you did then before that? Did you try to, you know, work with them on that and then realize that was impossible? Or how how did you approach that? Yeah. So I um spoke to my coach. And I said that I was uh, that those I was noticing those things coming out in the relationship, and she asked me what I was prepared to do about it. You know, because mm -hmm. we were together for a long time, we were married and everything. And I said to her that I wanted to um, 
ask for help and I wanted to see whether it could be, uh, you know, whether there was something that could be done about it. So I spoke to him and I said, look, I feel that I felt that the problem obviously was with the communication. So I said to him, I don't think we're communicating well, because when I am trying to say something to you, you come back with something that doesn't even it's not even close to what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. which is obviously part of the manipulation, but I mm -hmm. didn't necessarily know at that point. Right. right. So. I said, I feel like we should talk to someone. And he's always, always refused. Always. He said, no, this is just the way we are. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not about me. It's because you have anxiety. It's stuff that you should talk um, about with Alex. Alex is my coach. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's not, I don't want to go to therapy. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to ask for help. It's not about me. So I was completely shut down. Yeah. Then after that, I tried to work on the relationship by myself. So I said, okay, so what is it that I can do that's within my power to try and, you know, save this, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was the lowest point because I went, I was completely humiliated. Like I went above and beyond for somebody that was not interested mm -hmm. in saving anything mm -hmm. so that was a very very low point and um after that um I was I was really overweight at the time as well so after that I uh, I had to do something uh about it and I decided to focus on my body focus on myself and uh, I started working on, on losing the weight and everything, which gave me a great confidence. Obviously, when I when I lost the weight and I was finally myself again, um, and it gave me the confidence to say, I am not going to do this to myself anymore. Like, I'm, I'm not. If you're not working on this and you are in the same marriage as I am. So, <laughs> you know, if you're not willing to do this, why do I have to do this on my own? I, I tried so much. But I completely then at that point felt that I was going into a completely different direction. Mm -hmm. And um, I, however, I didn't want to give up. I'm not a quitter. Mm -hmm. So I asked for help one more time. Uh, he used to change jobs very often. That's another thing that's quite typical. He used to change jobs very often and I just couldn't take it anymore. There was no financial security, just problems and debt and all that. And um, I uh, uh, decided to ask for help to his family. And I said, look, to his mom, and I said, look, this is the situation. I I'm going to be very honest with you. I feel that if something doesn't change, the only thing I can do is leave because I, it's got to a point where I have to protect myself. I cannot do it. Mm -hmm. Right. And she said, yeah, 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 absolutely. We're going to help you come home for Christmas. This was yeah, December. Come home for Christmas. So we're going to talk when you're here and uh, don't worry, we're going to give you support. Everything is going to be okay. I went home for Christmas. I cannot tell you how many times I tried mm -hmm. to speak to these people. It was never a good time. No, now we, people are coming in an hour. And I'm like, it's an hour. Like, can we just yeah. not sit down and talk yeah. about it? It's not five minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an hour. We can do something. No, no, no. There was never a good time. And uh, at that point I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just not going to ask anymore. Mm -hmm. Then came back to London early January. And after a week, I just said to him, look, I'm sorry, but I'm done. I've literally felt completely drained 
stood in front of him and I said, I don't, I'm not in love with you anymore. I have got nothing left to give. Literally, like if I find, I can't even, I can't even find the strength to, to even like give a hug or anything. I can't, like I'm done. I completely dry. Everything is gone. So I, I have to go. And uh, when I said that, he said, oh, okay. Like this. Wow. Which after 15 years. Yeah. It's not something that you expect. Mm, you know? yeah. And then uh, the days after, though, he went very obsessive and very, uh, yeah, it was quite difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot of shouting and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, not very pretty things um, until, yeah, I just I just left. I packed my bags and I was like, I'm, I'm out. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And I just went away. Mm-hmm. I could not be in the house anymore. Like, yeah, I really couldn't. So, yeah. So 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 that's that's how I got here. How mm-hmm. I got here. I've, I've experienced this. And then mm-hmm. um, that was a real transformation. You know, as soon as I left the house, by the way, that I went to live on my own, the rest of the OCDs that I had gone. Oh, <laughs> really? Yes, completely. Wow. As I went to live on my own, I did not suffer from OCD ever since. Mm. Nothing. You know, not even one ritual, not even one. Wow. It was very, yeah, it was quite like, you know, um, mm-hmm. defined. Like. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then I, I had a, a lot of people coming to me. And as I was sharing my story, they were uh, they were telling me that they felt very inspired, that they didn't know obviously what was going on. And because I kept to myself a lot and stuff. And um, they started using that word, like being inspired. You know, I really admire you for doing this and that and that. And uh, so I decided, I said, you know what? I like working in events, but I don't feel like I'm actually making a difference, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to speak with my coach to see what she thought about me, you know, training to become a coach as well and helping others. And she was really supportive as well. So she helped me out to find a good uh, school where to go study and everything and yeah and that's what I what I did (laughs) so I decided that if I was able to inspire something somebody just by living Mm -hmm. you know my story then if I could be trained and then help actually people like you know Mm -hmm. on a daily basis that would be even more amazing right yeah yeah definitely so I can imagine you know if you're if you're dealing with a person in a relationship who where the they're issue is that they're completely focused on themselves and them being right and you being wrong it would be nearly impossible I think without a miracle to convince that person to to go to counseling or to get help or to even acknowledge that they were contributing to the problem that just really sounds like a a catch-22 where you know how do you work through that I yeah that just really sounds like like a difficult place I I know you know to a certain extent all, all of us are selfish in, in, in some yeah. ways. Yeah. And, but so say there's a person who's in a relationship and they suspect they might be dealing with a narcissist. How do you tell the difference between, oh, this is just run of the mill human selfishness and no, this is like seriously, like, a, I don't know, a disease, is it called a disease or a, uh, well, a dysfunction a, of some sort? Yeah, it's, it's a personality disorder. However, and this is what I always want for people to understand because you don't need a diagnosis to have an abusive behavior 
Mm. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. there's a huge spectrum. So even right. if somebody isn't diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, but they are gaslighting you, that's abuse. Mm. You know, you don't need the diagnosis to recognize that that's abuse. Yeah. But so, I think part of the issue that you described was not realizing that you were being yeah. gaslighted and, and think, you know, accepting that alternate reality of, oh, this is my fault. So I, I don't know, it just seems like a really difficult situation to find your way out of. Yeah, um, there's one thing that is never, ever going to lie, and that's your instincts. You know, the brain can lie, the brain can make you believe whatever. Mm -hmm. And the heart can as well, because you are going to be to feel like you want to love this person. Mm -hmm. But your instincts, that's the essence of who you are. That is never, ever going to lie. Mm -hmm. So in all those uh, you know episodes of gaslightings that i i went through there was always at the bottom something that made me go is this normal yeah it's, you know it feels a little off it doesn't feel yeah right. you know is this normal it doesn't i'm not sure you know mm -hmm. even though i thought well all relationships have ups and downs mm -hmm. but it really made me feel in a way that i was actually going to I was actually questioning it, you know, I was actually going, I'm not sure. Mm. But what I did, because I was overcome with anxiety and fear and everything, like many people in that situation, I shut it off. Yeah. And I said, oh, no, can't be. Mm. No, it, it can't be. You know, this is this is a different story because you're not ready to see the reality yet. You know, mm -hmm. if, you, if you're especially if you're going through stuff like this, which can be any other type of, of anxiety or anything else that you might be going through that is really taking a lot of you, it's much harder to go and, and see what the instinct says. Mm -hmm. It's much, much harder, yeah. but it's always there. So every time, every single person that I speak to, I chat to, uh, to a lot of people on Instagram and they always ask me, you know, uh, come across my profile and they ask me, um, you know, any question, to be honest with you, I'm very open uh, mm -hmm. to talk because I know that it's, it's, it's there and their mm -hmm. support is needed a hundred percent. And I always say, what does your instinct say? Is there a voice? Can you hear a voice at the back of your head, you know, in your mind or down, down? What does your instinct say? Does this sound a bit fishy? Does it sound like it's not, doesn't necessarily feel right? And the majority of the time is like, well, yeah, because I don't, I don't know why. Like, that's not what I said. Yeah. You know, I don't know why. And then I said, well, okay, then trust your instincts always. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how, what do you do now to help people who are dealing with this kind of situation? How are you involved in that? Yeah. So I'm a coach um, and I uh, help uh, women mainly, but I do have clients who are men as well, who are either uh, coming out of toxic. So people who have realized that this is what they're going through mm -hmm. and they need help to create time for themselves and heal before they leave. Um, or people who have just come out of the relationship and need to find their feet again, or people who have experienced the toxic relationship, because it's not only romantic relationship, you can experience mm -hmm. narcissistic abuse even from your parents or your mm -hmm. siblings or friendships or on the, in the workplace. You know, mm -hmm. it's so many different um, scenarios. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so the, the third group is people that have experienced it in the past and 
it, the trauma is still there. So I help them overcome whatever happened, you know, with that, with that relationship, whether it's their parents again, you know, um, whenever that happened and move on from mm. it. Mm-hmm. So I do one-to-one coaching, uh, but also I have a, something that I am very, uh, that I love very much. And uh, so one of the things um, that I noticed after I came out of the relationship was the fact that if I had somebody that went through the same, it would have been so much quicker for me to leave. Mm. It wouldn't have taken two years. I genuinely thought that I was the only one experiencing that. I didn't say anything to my parents. I didn't say anything to my friends. Mm -hmm. I genuinely thought that it was just me. And thank goodness I had my coach because she helped me a lot. But Mm -hmm. there were some things that I held back as well because I I wasn't sure what it was. Mm -hmm. So I've created this uh, community. Uh, this is for women only, though. Um, I've created this community of um, survive- survivors of narcissistic abuse. I call them warriors, my warriors. And uh, it's a place where it's, it's on a membership basis, but it's a place w- for people who have experienced that and now want to heal, but in, in an environment where they're not on their own. Mm-hmm. So they want to heal surrounded by people that know exactly what it is that they're going through. Mm-hmm. Because it's not, even if it's not a romantic relationship, but it's a family relationship, the dynamics are the same. Yeah. You know, the, the manipulation is the same. So, so when you say, you know, I feel like I've been gaslighted, they know exactly what that is mm-hmm. and what they're talking about. And they not only that, but they also know exactly the feeling that you are having mm-hmm. when experiencing that. Yeah. It's really powerful. To be among a group of friends who won't say, oh, I think you're crazy, or I think it's in your head, or it's your fault, you know, to have that camaraderie of people who understand has got to be huge. When building a resilient life, the first step Liz coaches people to take is to spend time daily with God. When you seek God consistently, he will show you the best next step for your journey. If you'd like a peek at how Elizabeth connects with God regularly, Download her free prayer guide and journal at elizabethmyers.me forward slash prayer guide. You can now have the same journal Elizabeth uses every day and make it your own. Yeah. Is, is there any hope for somebody who's in a relationship like that, that relationship could be healed and could go on? Is there another alternative other than leaving the relationship? I mean, obviously that depends a lot on the other person. And we yeah. already talked about how difficult that is, but yeah. Um, yeah. Is there a hope there that some of these narcissistic people do choose to heal or do the work? It's very rare. Yeah. Very, very rare. And still, if they did choose to heal, my personal, what I would do is leave anyway, is leave, distance myself and say, okay, you take your time to do your work. You heal yourself. You work on this on your own. And I work on myself and my trauma that I've got from this relationship on my own. And then we'll see where we can go. Mm-hmm. I would still distance myself completely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, there, there are certain narcissists that they realize what is happening to them. And they realize that is a lot of past trauma that is bringing this out in them. Um, and they decide to do something about it, but it is a personality disorder. So, 
it's yeah. literally the way that they are right right even if it's within the spectrum it is something that's of their character mm-hmm. so it's very complicated to mm-hmm. to um overcome that Mm. Um, but if you if you realize that you are in a relationship like that, um, the best advice that I can give you is to if you cannot leave yet, because it can also be that you're not ready to leave the relationship yet, talk to somebody who doesn't know them. Because what they do is that they unleash their flying monkeys that's what they're called in the in the in the jargon but um and they convince other people that you are the crazy one Hmm. so it's very important that if you have any suspicion speak to somebody who is in no way connected to them Hmm. because you need to be to keep yourself safe Mm-hmm. mentally emotionally and obviously physically as well safe so speak to somebody who is not involved who doesn't know them you know whether it's a stranger a professional whatever it is but definitely who is not involved with them mm-hmm. and that's some, some support that that you can get for sure yeah I, I know that you're uh big on self-care taking the time for yourself which is also uh some a topic i like to bring up a lot because i neglected that until the point I couldn't, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and then I had to make that a priority. And I, I know that that's important for all of us, no matter what kind of relationship you're in or not in. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about that, of the importance of that and how we can create space for that? Yeah, absolutely. So ultimately, if you are in any relationship and the person that you're with makes you feel guilty for taking time for yourself, that's a sign that the relationship is toxic, number one. So, you know, nobody, somebody who truly loves you, wants you to thrive, mm-hmm. wants you to feel good, wants you to have that time for yourself, even if it means that you're away from them. So it, it's, it's very important that we point this out. And uh, in terms of, of cutting this time, you know, cutting out the time for yourself, it's hugely important because it isn't selfish, first of all. Instead, it's actually the the least selfish thing that you can do. It's literally an act of love to take care of yourself. Because when you do that, imagine your phone, okay? We we go around with our phones all the time. Mm -hmm. What can you do with your phone if it doesn't have the battery full? If it's on 1%? nothing you know nothing <laughs> literally you know yeah. you're gonna make it and then it's there and if you're not near a charger it's gonna stay off for however long you need right mm-hmm. so it's super and, and and you work the same as a human being so your battery needs to be kept charged because otherwise you cannot help anybody else mm-hmm. you cannot be of support to the people you love you cannot you cannot work properly you know you cannot so so if if you love them then love yourself first. Mm, That's the number one thing. Love Mm -hmm. yourself first, look after yourself first, because then when you do that, the quality of time, the quality of attention that you give them, it's greater. Yes, much better for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I realized that too, just as a mom, you know, I was taking care of everybody else first, but I realized I can be a much better mom if I take care of myself first and then take care of them. And you know, it does, it felt selfish at first, but then I realized it's not selfish. It's necessary. And, you know, just like you said, that's a way I can love others is by taking care of myself. So I'm around for them. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. completely agree. And I do the same. You know, when I started working as a coach, I wanted to help everyone. I was like, oh, the, anybody who needs help, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, you know. Mm-hmm. But then it, it really got to a point where, you know, it, with being a coach and doing and doing especially one-to-one sessions that's a lot of energy which mm-hmm. is amazing it's an amazing yeah. exchange and it's such a a privilege for me to be able to do that but it takes a lot out of out of a person as a mm-hmm. thing for the client there's a lot of energy that the client you know uses mm-hmm. for that and it's amazing but if I do that for in a day for 10 clients the number 10 it's not going to get the same energy yeah. than, the, than the number one. And that's right. unfair. Mm-hmm. That's unfair. I cannot do that. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, when I and that, but it took time to understand as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, because ultimately that's what you want to do as a coach. You want to change right. the world. So you're like, I'm here, I'm changing the right. world. Just <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's super important. So now I have learned that I, first of all, I do not take any clients before a certain time of the mm-hmm. day. Because I, I have things that I do to look after myself and, and everything. And then I have a certain amount of clients that I take mm-hmm. at any one time because I want to give them the absolute best. Mm-hmm. And I know that if I am doing back-to-back sessions and stuff like that, it's not going to be the best. Right. So it's yeah. super important that if you want to help others, you mm-hmm. start from, from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And so if our listeners do want to connect with you and learn more or maybe, you know, find out about the coaching, where can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So I hang out a lot on Instagram. It's my favorite platform. Definitely. I have a lot of fun there and I have a lot of free content there as well. So I do a lot of informative videos. So if you are not sure whether you are in a toxic relationship or not, there are a bunch of videos that you can watch. Uh, and you will recognize the behaviors. You will recognize what it is and it will definitely help you out. Um, mm-hmm. And my handle is uh, at uh, Gloria Bettini, which mm-hmm. is my name, surname, all one word. And then all my links are there as well. Um, but you can find me if you don't have Instagram, you can have a look at my website, which is um, the selfmasterycoach.co.uk. Mm-hmm. And you can find all information there about, uh, you know, all my contacts, my, a little bit about my story, but I shared a lot here as well today. Mm-hmm. And then as well as um, the membership uh, details um, as well. So uh, with the membership, I would really like to say that it's a space that I really protect and uh, it's not open to anyone. I always speak to the people before I invite them in um, Mm -hmm. because it's super important that we are all comfortable, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and, it's it's a very sacred <laughs> place yes. for me. Yes, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your willingness to come on and, and be so open and share with us your struggles and your journey and your wisdom that you've gained along the way. Um, I know this could really be helpful to some people who are struggling with the same thing but haven't been able to name it or identify it. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for having me. Honestly, mm-hmm. the, the more I can uh, I can spread awareness and raise awareness about this, uh, the better, because it, mm-hmm. it really also is engraved in society. You know, it's not just about uh, intimate relationships. I know mm-hmm. many, many people who have experienced this at work and mm-hmm. it really needs to stop. We really yeah. need to be protected. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So thank yeah. you. Yes. And it's not a, it's not a common thing you hear about often. So I, you know, I hope that our listeners could learn from you and can, can share that knowledge with the people around them too. 
Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And if you want to contact you. me and just send me a message that just, just DM me on Instagram. I'm there. Don't worry. Okay. All right. <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks. You have been listening to Resilient Life Hacks with Liz Myers. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by the guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. To learn more and download your free guide to Liz's top 20 Resilient Life Hacks, go to resilientlifehacks.com. Subscribe now so you never miss the life hacks you need to live the life you want.